This is News from the Peak. I'm Joe Mamlin. Today on the show, we welcome a very special guest, Irma Neal. Irma is currently a co-owner and senior partner at Onyx Rising Financial Services, and prior to that, has worked in government and human services in a wide variety of roles, both public and private. Her resume is impressive and includes roles in corporate leadership, government leadership, as a business owner, and as an entrepreneur. Recently, Irma added author to that list as she released her book, Leading in Chaos. In the book, Irma talks about her experiences in her career, especially early on, and how she came to be the leader that she is today. It's a great combination of interesting stories and insights, combined with practical leadership suggestions and techniques. The book is available now on Amazon and on Audible. And if you look at our website under News from the Peak, you can find links directly to the book, as well as a link to her Onyx Financial Services website. On today's show, Maureen Life sits down with Irma to talk about the book. And of course, the conversation moves into many other areas as well. So we welcome you to our 10th episode. And if you're finding us for the first time, we hope you will go back and listen to some of our other episodes. But for now, you're going to want to stay right where you are. Because it's going to be a great show. So stay with us, and we'll be right back. for joining us today. Um, when we decided to launch a podcast at Grace Peak Strategies, we kind of brainstormed some of the people in our network that would be most interesting and um, that we were excited to interview. And you were um, at the top of our list. So I'm glad that this worked out and uh, I appreciate you being on today. Thank you for having me. So where are you today and how has quarantine and COVID been for you? Well, fortunately, I've been pretty busy. I, I spend my winters in Florida, but uh, this summer I sold my house and, and moved in, uh, had a smaller one built. So I, uh, I actually left Florida right in the midst of the uh, pandemic and uh, in early April, and there were only seven people on the plane. Wow. Um, and, you know, I, I counted the number of people I came in contact with, and it was about four that uh, that whole trip. And the, uh, you know, the uh, flight attendants had on masks. They did a good job of cleaning. 
no beverage service. So there were, thankfully there weren't any incidents there. And then I came home and closed on the new home, uh, April 17th. So I, I've been having fun redecorating. Then I also did the audible book. So for me, the hardest part has, was not being able to see my grandkids and son, you know, so we did a lot of FaceTime on that. I think that's the most difficult part is just not being able to interact with people the way you did in the, in the past. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm excited that your book came out on audible and, um, I will give people a sneak peek at the end, but, um, I'm, I'm, that's exciting. And actually that's kind of one of the first reasons why I thought of you for our podcast, because we had recently, well, it's probably been over a year now that we did a training in Washington, DC for OCSC. And you were also one of the presenters and you and Joe were on a panel about leadership and you really, uh, you did an awesome job talking about women in leadership. And I don't think that was the focus of the the presentation, but you talked a lot about your experience um, as a woman kind of in this human services field. Um, Yeah. So I was, I was hoping maybe we could, we could talk a little bit about your experience back in the day and how you became to be such a great leader. Well, back in the day is it is too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm retired now, but um, I just think that I never, ever, um, saw the saw the position any position I was in as a job I just went into it like it was my own business you know what I mean just yeah. just doing what needed to be done uh irrespective of whether it was part of my job description if I saw something that needed to be done I just kind of did it and then you know, you're fortunate to to come in contact with people who see your potential. And so I just was fortunate enough to keep getting promoted, keep getting promoted, keep getting promoted uh, to, to different jobs. I did a lot of reading, a lot of self-help <laughs> books. I mean, from the beginning, that there was a self-help book that I read. If, if, there, if I was having a problem, the first thing I'd do is go, look for a book, you know, to help me uh, think through how to solve that problem. So it was a process and it was um, just, again, having, seizing opportunities as they came my way. And probably the biggest one I seized was uh, we did a really, really good job in Marion County, Indiana with our program. It was uh, NCA's best, best program, uh, for a number of times. And so we got a lot of national attention because that was during the time when all the, the, uh, the uh, enforcement techniques were being established like uh, IRS tax intercept and, and uh, license revocation, all the things that are, are just kind of standard now. And so um one a lady walked into my office from Washington D.C. under the guise of wanting to see the program, and uh, she she saw it. We talked and everything, and then she said, "Well, the real reason I'm here is because we're looking for a 4D director for Washington D.C." And then she said, "Do you happen to have a resume?" And I went into my desk drawer and pulled out a, a resume. You know, <laughs> so that's one of the things I would say is that. 
always have always be prepared with a resume, you know, with with your credentials, you know, because you don't ever know where the opportunity is coming from. Yeah, that's a great, great advice. I, yeah. I don't have one in my desk drawer now, but maybe I should. <laughs> well, that's the old days. Now just have it on your computer so you can print it off. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and so one of the stories that well, you had so many great stories about things that happened and some of it's just so ridiculous. It was comical. I'm sure at the time it wasn't, but, and, and you had some really bad bosses. Did you learn from some of those experiences? I learned from every one of them, from the good ones and the bad ones. But you do, you're right. You do learn more from the bad ones than the good ones. Uh, but the probably the the worst one I had was he was the grand dragon of the uh, John Birch Society, which is about the same as the Ku Klux Klan. Oh. Uh, and what I learned from that one has carried me to this day, and that is to make your case without emotion and to not respond to the emotional uh, arrows that are thrown at you. And that became the biggest thing that helped me when I went to IBM and into corporate because it's all about the numbers. It's all about, you know, uh, you can't be sensitive, you know, and so from that racist boss, I learned that I needed to uh, be calm no matter what and to make my case with the facts rather than with the feelings. Wow. So, I mean, just having that experience so long ago, but then being in 2020 and watching the news with the death of George Floyd and the protesting, I mean, how does that where where are we? Are we are have we moved from that experience in time to where we are now? Or you know the thing the thing I've thought of, I've thought quite a bit I guess as most African American Black people have, you know the inhumane way that George Floyd was killed is not new to Black America. What what's different is that. And I think COVID-19 had something to do with this too, because so many people were home, they, you know, were watching the tube and they saw the inhumanity of that particular moment. Um, and I, and I believe that this one is different. And the reason I do is because of course it's multiracial, it's multi-generational, but it, it, it opened up the eyes of white America. And it opened their hearts, okay? So that's why it's different. Is that now for the first time that I can remember, there's a willingness to discuss, a willingness to be uncomfortable, to get to, to, a di to the other side, if that makes any sense. That's what's different. Yeah, and it actually provides a little bit of hope in my heart that, that you as a Black woman could see it like that because I... I I want to see that. I want to feel like there's hope and that people are open to those conversations. And in my world, I've seen a lot of people that haven't been open to that be opened. Right. But, you know, that's just one perspective. So, well, you know, the thing is, I think the other thing that it's that's happened is it it it's dropped our defenses somewhat because as a as a black American, if I'm talking to white America, to a white 
person about race, there is a defensiveness like I'm blaming you, you know, right? I, I didn't do it. And if you're a white American talking to me as a black American about race, I'm defensive because I say, you don't know anything about it. How could you possibly know anything about it? Right. You know, so, so the fact that the defenses have dropped means that we can have a real, real, real dialogue. I always say that if, if, if every person knew personally as a friend, a, a person of, of the other race, whether it's Latina, Asian, African-American, white, if we just had one friend of each race, it would change so much, you know, because you would have an ongoing dialogue with somebody. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. That makes it human. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's, yeah. How do we, in human services, um, specifically, just because that's where we all got our start, but how do we create the culture where we can keep that conversation going and and I don't know, maybe there's a two-part question, but how do we keep that conversation going with leadership and, and our folks that we're working with? Like we're, like we're trying to do at home. So I'm trying to talk to my kids about all of these issues and, and under, make them empowered to like make the world a better place. But then how do we translate that also to the work that we're doing? Well, you know, there are some real simple, practical things I think that each of us can do. Uh, if, if you're in HR... You know, because there's there's um there are studies that have shown that if if a if there's a the resume has an African American name and uh, and it's beside one with a with a white name, that more than likely the African American uh, will be set aside. So if you're in HR, I would say cover up the names. Don't look at the names. Look at the the qualifications and 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 go with that. Then the other thing is just practical things. Like if you walk in a room, we tend to sit with black folks and white folks tend to sit with white folks. And if there is a if there's an empty chair at a table by a black person, take that, take that one and start a conversation. You know what I mean? Let us just reach across to each other, you know, and and start to uh to see each other's humanity and, and uh, you know, how much we really have in common because we do have more in common than we, we have uh, differences. Um, so, and then the other thing in child support, I, I've, I've been out of a, a while, so I don't know for a fact, but when I was in it, there were uh, quite a few African-Americans in on the front lines but the further up the ladder you went, the less likely it was to see one. And I think when I was the 4D director in DC, I was the only African-American uh, director. I, I don't know what it is now. I know yeah. that, that, there, that uh, Charles was in Texas and Benita was in Washington, DC, but I don't know about the rest. But there again, that's the other thing, the hiring of the upper... Uh, echelon of human services needs to reflect the community. Well, and, and it's like a two-prong approach too, because I did um, 
some women in leadership work in human services, and the statistics are somewhat similar for caseworkers being women. And the further you get up the, the chain, exactly. the more males that are present. So it's kind of, um, you know, so you are a woman and. Right. And you are absolutely right. It is both women and minorities. It really is. Uh, I remember when I went to IBM as vice president of human services for IBM, I was the only, only African-American and only one of two women. Wow. Uh, so yeah, you're absolutely right. We got to do something on both of those fronts. And, and women are great managers and great leaders you know, just, just by our nature of, of taking care of the household and doing all the things we have to do as women translates into good management most of the time. Unless, of course, we try to act like men and then... then. <laughs> well, and I'm, yeah, and I'm wondering if over the course of your career, because one of the things that you, you said that kind of struck me was kind of taking the emotion out of it. And I think as women, we get, you know, a bad rap for for having that emotion, but which isn't always bad. So we can provide services to families with a lens of empathy. Wow. Um, did you feel like you did have to have some of those more? Uh, and, I, and I need to qualify that. You, you learn how not to show the emotion. It doesn't mean that you don't have it. Right. You right. Know, because I think one of the strengths that women bring to management is that empathy, you know, and, and the compassion and, and the ability to, uh, how shall I say it, manage, manage the behavior without belittling the person. You know what I mean? Right. So, well, um, Especially in providing services to families. Exactly. You know, we do need to have some kind of lens of empathy so that we can see how our customer, you know, experience is through their eyes. Um, exactly. So and there are barriers that we just really don't even think about, you know, uh, we don't think much about uh, ha having to go downtown to the child support office, you know, because we got good cars that run and, uh, and you know, somebody who, at least before COVID, we had somebody who good child care, if you had that. But there are just so many barriers to, uh, to uh, some of our clientele that it's just not easy. And then if they come into a an office that's not welcoming that makes them feel even worse. You don't get the cooperation you need to to uh, be successful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, that's just a whole nother. So now we have this other layer of kind of uh, middle class values um, and not understanding kind of the culture of poverty and you know making judgments about people's behavior, not understanding kind of what their parameters are and right. Uh, and like you said, transportation and daycare and all of those things. As a as a woman um, leader, you know, I'm wondering, and I know you said you read a lot of self-help books, which one of the things I love most about you is your humility and that that you didn't you weren't born knowing all of this, but it's it feels to me like you were also raised with a really strong support system and a, a strong uh, leader as a mom. And I don't know if you want to talk about one of your favorite quotes and all things get an understanding. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was raised by a very strong woman uh, and, um, and a strong father and they just didn't allow us to make excuses. Um, you know, I talk about in the book how uh, 
my father would say there's no such word as can't. And he would not let us use it. I mean, <laughs> you said can't, you were in trouble. You know, and then and then my mother was always, okay, uh, when you you go to her and you say something and she said, Are you sure you understood? And then you say, Yeah, I understand. No, go back, because that doesn't sound quite right. Go back and make sure you got an understanding. You know, so um it it taught us, I think the big lesson that it taught us is how to listen and then how to get up if we got knocked down. So um yeah, they they were very instrumental. I you know, I uh I thank God for them because they uh we were poor, but we never knew it. And what we thought were that were that we were the smartest people, smartest oh. eight kids in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and every one of us finished school and none of us got in trouble and you know there were eight of us and nobody went to jail nobody got in trouble you know I tell people all the time I was more afraid of my father than I was any policeman <laughs> so, so uh you know that we just grew up in a good intact family with uh a mother and father who cared about us, which which also let me know when, when I got into child support how important fathers are to the whole equation of the family, of a good, stable family. You know, so yeah, I had a good one. Absolutely. And I, I think that's always kind of important. And it felt like when I first got into child support, the fathers were kind of the afterthought. And for me, and I also grew up you know, in an intact family. And, and I really needed both of their perspectives. I got a right. lot from, you know, the handholding and the, I wouldn't say coddling because my mom will be listening to this, but, you know, I, I got a lot from both of those personalities. So, you know, kids, kids do need kind of influences from, from both mother figures and father figures. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've been encouraged to see how um, the fatherhood initiatives have gone forward in child support. I think uh, at first it was, like you said, an afterthought and then just just a monetary uh, avenue. Right. But um, I, I've been encouraged at how that's evolved over time. So in this craziness of COVID and, uh, you know, all of the the issues going on in the world, if, you, if you're, a le- if we have young leaders um, or aspiring leaders who are listening to the podcast, which I'm sure they are. Um, what's your advice for people right now to to be able to, you know, take those leadership roles and um, move up into the into the chain? Well, I, you know, I'm uh, uh, the other thing that I've been really uh, proud of and fascinated with is the number of young people who have been leading the protest movements and and been front and center in this whole thing. Um, I, I would say just to, just to persevere and use tenacity, you know, don't, don't give up. Don't, um, let anybody talk you out of what you know you can do. I used to say all the time, who's the best judge of what you can do. And the best judge of what you can do is you. So if you feel like you can do it, then, uh, you should go go for it. If somebody comes gives you feedback that says you're lacking in an area, 
then don't necessarily, don't get defensive about it, fix that area. And that's where the self-help books came in for me. Because if somebody told me you don't have this, this is not your strength, you don't have this, you know, uh, then I'd go find some help to, to, to shore that piece up. You know, I just always, um, you just have to listen to your gut. And therein is the difference. Women, we have such good intuition. <laughs> All of us, we're born with it. And we just need to use it and listen to it. Because if you, if you listen to it, you don't go wrong. You know, you really don't. I love so that. So I would say just be, just be persistent, consistent, and keep on growing and, and never be satisfied. And the other thing that I've never done in, in, uh, is take no for an answer. To me, no just means not today. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and I've lived by that. And I think that's why I was good in corporate America, because when the customer said no, that meant just not today. Come back, <laughs> come at it at another angle. I love that. I love that. What I love about you is that you're humble and confident. You feel like, to me, you're just so approachable. Were you always like that? Were you born like that? I, my family keeps me, has always kept me humble. You know, I remember, uh, and Joe, you'll know, you remember Sam, my husband, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, I of course. He used to say all the time, you can't fire me. You can't fire us. So just get off of your management. Uh, he said, you try to handle us like, like we're one of your employees or something. You can't fire me. <laughs> so they just kept me humble. I mean, they really did. I just, um. Well, how did you manage, um, you know, having a family and being a leader and all of, you know, all of the, the stress that would come along with that? I just know a lot of women who are struggling with this concept of we can't have it all. So, um, you know, and struggling with that balance. I have to say that I, I had uh, a excellent partner. I mean, he, he was the most supportive uh, man to me that I could ever imagine. In fact, when I was contemplating the the uh, the decision to move from Indianapolis to Washington D.C. because I got offered the job, it was him that said, "Listen, we got to do this. Wow. You know, this this is going to change our lives." He says, "This has the potential to change our lives, so we we've got to do this." And so he um, he quit his job and went went with me to D.C. He had a, a career where he could easily find one, but he went with me to Washington, D.C. Same thing when I went into corporate. He says, you know, I, I told him, I said, Sam, this means that that I'm going to be away from you five days a week. I'm going to be traveling five days a week. And he says, well, it doesn't it, it doesn't matter because no matter even when we're apart, we're together, you know, that kind of stuff. So uh, it's it's having a good partner. I mean, and if you're in, if you're in a situation where the partner does not support you, does not push you, then I, I say it's the wrong partner. <laughs> yeah. You know, take away from that. Right. You know, so I, and then the, then we, we all, again, we always shared the, the chores, you know, I wasn't expected to come in from a trip and cook dinner or or, uh, you know, clean the house or, you know, we had all the, 
the necessary services that it took to keep things going. You know what I mean? Without the whole burden being on me. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's a special story. And I know that Sam isn't with us anymore, but I feel like even though you're not together, you're together. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. And that's really true right now because it, one of the heartbreaks of COVID is the number of people who get sick and and have to be alone. Yeah, you know, doing that thing that's that's horrible. I have a a um, cousin who was in in the hospital fifty three days with COVID. Oh, geez. and uh, was not able to see her her husband during that time. So it was real hard. She's doing better. She's out of the hospital and doing better now, but that was a long 53 days. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that kind of, you know, goes back to, um, we've been doing some trainings for some different child support offices and, you know, leaders right now are trying to deal with, you know, work issues, but also they've got staff who are under great amount, you know, great amount of stress trying to homeschool and take care of families may have folks, with, you know, um, compromised immune systems, or even like, you know, in your case, have someone in the hospital. So trying to manage kind of the emotional aspects of what's going on in our world, along with kind of the logistical things of trying to get support to kids and, um, you know, human services out to families that need them while managing employment, you know, employees. Yeah, these are unprecedented times. None of us have ever seen anything like this. Um, really haven't. And the emotional uh, toll that it's taken on people is, is yet to be written. I mean, it's just, it's a pretty dark time for us right now. Um, people worried about so much all at the same time, you know. Um, I think the only thing is, as leaders, we can do is be as supportive as we can um, to not make people feel bad or feel worse because they aren't able to respond the way they usually do. I think it's a misnomer for people to say, don't bring your personal life to work. You bring it with you, whether you think you do or not. Absolutely. And and likewise for leaders, um, not to expect that people aren't going to bring some of that, you know, that personal stress um, to work is is not either. Yeah. So Irma, as we kind of wrap up here, I'm thinking about, um, you know, we're kind of in a chaotic period of time. So I think it's a great time for people to read your book um, because we need leadership now more than ever. Um, And people can lead from wherever they are in making the world a better place. If you could have, if I could give you a magic wand and you can, and you can make a wish right now, is there something that you would, uh, that comes to mind that you'd want? Yeah, it would be, and this is an old, old adage, don't judge a book by its cover. If we could just accept people as they are without the, the biases uh, that come with, with how a person looks or how a person is dressed or how a person talks and just accept each other as human beings created by God to be the best that we can be. That would be my wish. I love it. It's perfect. It wouldn't, 
wouldn't matter if you were wearing a hoodie or not. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. Well, thanks very much to Irma for joining us today. And don't forget that her book is available on Amazon and on Audible. And you can find links to both in the article about this episode on gracepeakstrategies.com. And wherever you happen to be listening, please hit the subscribe button because we have a lot more great episodes coming up. We'd love to hear from you and get your ideas and your feedback. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to us on the contact link on our website. News from the Peak is a project of Grace Peak Strategies and is produced by Maureen Life, David Ram, Robert Riddle, and me. You can find the podcast and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker, and Radio Public. You can learn more about us at gracepeakstrategies.com. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Gray's Peak, and we're easy to find on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. This was News from the Peak. I'm Joe Mamlin. Thanks for joining us. So you, you said you were, were retired, and as you reflect back on your career, um, are there things you wish you had known back then or things that you, you know, in hindsight, were really obvious, but not at the time. Let me see. I can't. I can't think that far back, Maureen. <laughs> <laughs> what are you most looking forward to after after uh, COVID is over and things settle down a little? Boy, I'm looking forward to uh, going back to Florida. <laughs> Yeah, I bet. I miss going to the beach. You know, the beach was only five minutes from my house. Are you, have you read any good books lately? I I haven't read anything uh, lately. Um, now I read mostly fiction. I don't read self-help anymore. Yeah. <laughs> So I think the last one I read, oh, I'm in the midst of James Patterson. He's my favorite uh, fiction author. I think that's a mic drop right there. <laughs> yeah, amen. Okay. <laughs> that was really great. Oh, thank you. That was, this is fun.